Welcome to episode 6 of the Yonder Podcast on the 20th of January 2020 with myself, Peter Jones. This time we are coming to you from the Pacific Telecoms Conference in Honolulu in Hawaii. Got a couple of guests coming up and first up uh, I was able to grab a precious 10 minutes with good friend and former colleague Jared Thibault of KO Data. Jared was willing to share his views on the conference themes, uh, his own view on industry trends, and how both relate to the practical world of data center design and delivery. The Yonder Podcast. Well, Jared, thanks for joining us. Uh, introduce yourself, if you don't mind. Yeah, morning. Uh, morning, afternoon. It depends where you are in the world, doesn't it? Um, Jared Thibault uh, from KO Data. Um, I've been in the data center industry probably for the last 20 years now, just over, uh, starting originally with... Global Crossing in the heady days of the network builds, um, heading through CBRE and their technology practice group, digital royalty for 11 years, and then um, starting a new entrepreneurial business of KO Data out in Harlow. And that's what's keeping you busy these days. So, 1998, you were saying you uh, started in this game? Yeah, I think, you know, if you go back to when the, the internet was really sort of getting underway, um, clearly one of the enablers is to have the submarine cables coming across from the US, yeah. uh, but also building out the European network across UK over into Europe through Amsterdam, through France um, and beyond. Yeah, And that was what kept you busy in the earlier days. So. Who were so the, the main buyers of data center capacity? How 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 has that changed over over the years? Um, yeah, buyers, buyers, end users. It, it's um, it's an interesting sort of look on the the business. So we all need data, and and without doubt, we've seen the uh, need for data and the, the processing of data go up and up and up. But I think one of the, the distinct things we've seen change through the market in the last 20 years is is how that service is bought. Um, so. Whereas in the early days, a lot of my time was involved with end users buying their own data center services um, and, and building data centers, so full 2N, very high resilience tier 4 uh, systems, to starting to, to sort of unwind and relax a little bit and move towards cloud platforms where um, effectively they outsource the processing capability um, but still remain the end user. And that has given rise to companies like Amazon Web Services, uh, the Azure Cloud, and so on. Uh, and that's really what's driving, I think, the, the size of data centers to get the commodity cost down. So two things there, I suppose. So when you and I were colleagues, say, uh, 10 years ago, yep. we were trying to persuade um, banks and so on that you don't need to be building your gold-plated tier four, all singing, all dancing, and, you know, to, to be buying from us at that at the time sure. in a in a in a, in a wholesale uh, co-location uh, company, um, you know, in, in in a short ten years, not only has that profile of of buyer changed from bank to say hyperscaler um, cloud provider, but the scale has gone up what ten x twenty x I guess you know to try uh, and throw, throw a bit of a magnitude on it. Yeah, so absolutely. So, you know, 
I, I guess the first stage in the migration to where we are now with cloud has been uh, the sort of digital realties, the real estate investment trusts that have uh, built whole scale, um, wholesale scale data centers and then leased that to companies to put their own servers in. Um, so they still have the, the sort of, if you like, server hugger mentality yeah. within space that they feel that is, is theirs but is actually run and operated by uh, a large-scale data center operator. And then it's gone on now to the cloud operators where not even the servers are in their domain anymore. It's really just the applications. And I think you know that, that has been a, a, a great trend. Uh, it's certainly brought down the cost of uh, overall data processing. Yeah. But I think you'll still find that people have taken a holistic look at what they process and split it into a number of different categories, some of which can go into public cloud, some of it would go into private cloud, so you get this mix of sort of hybrid cloud, but also they will, in certain circumstances, some enterprises will retain their own um, data centers, their own servers, uh, their own equipment, probably at very high tier levels in terms of uh, resilience, because it's the very nub of the core of their business. Yeah. But that's fairly, uh, the, I suppose, the, 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 these hybrid environments you speak of, I mean, it feels very kind of nascent at the moment and people are trying to feel, feel their way out for, for, for what that looks like. What is the balance? What is the spec? Because I mean, you, you, you were remarking about really, say, in only the last 10 years, the remarkable changes in, I mean, when's the last time you saw a tier four anything? <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Well, I, I can remember one in particular, but um, yeah. the costs are, are quite frankly prohibitive in, in this day and age. Um, you know, we see commodity pricing of, uh, for instance, say iCloud storage at 79p per yeah. month for however many gigabytes worth. Yeah. So it, it, it's got the cost of processing and storage has got to come down. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're going to do tier four data centers, they come with a, a huge, huge, huge price tag. And also, the gen generally for most enterprises, it's not their core business. Yeah. So, so I think we... Sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say, so, that, so that's on the resilience end of the spectrum, I think, as well. We are talking about both the relaxation of operating conditions inside yep. data centers and the en masse radical adoption of PUE yeah, really so changed the face of, 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 of efficiency at data centers. I mean, it felt like overnight. Of course, it wasn't overnight, but it yeah, was really no, quite think, disruptive think, and, and took the industry almost by storm. Yeah, I think without doubt. I think there's almost sort of two parallel processes there. So you've got the, the cooling element and, the, and then the, the, maybe the resilience element. So cooling-wise, um, the adoption of the ASHRAE sort of recommended, and even for a lot of people, the allowable um, envelopes, has given people a, a huge sort of shake-up in terms of moving away from when I started in the industry, sort of 6 and 12 chilled water yeah. to 17, 20 um, chilled water, uh, even going away from chilled water now and using air-to-air -air heat exchangers. So mm. um, that adoption of the 18 to 27 window ha has given a great sort of shake-up to how we can be probably more sustainable, more energy efficient within the industry. But then on the same um, 
sort of token on in parallel with uh, electrical infrastructure, the relaxation of moving away from the two end architecture yeah. that we were all familiar with for banks and so on, um, where people are perhaps managing applications over a number of sites where maybe there's some resilience in terms of the application itself. Um, that's allowed us to move to sort of N, N plus one type architectures, which clearly can save a huge amount of um, cost, um, particularly, you know, if you can actually do away with with generators, which are a huge, huge cost within the electrical infrastructure themselves. Um, so if you've got a reliable yeah. grid and the ability to switch processes um, between sites, then you could save potentially even more. I mean, and I guess there, there are a few isolated case studies of, of people who've, who've taken that leap out there. Does the future look generator-less, potentially? Um, I think it does depend on how you can um, organise your applications across sites. Um, but I think you know, there's another driver, and that's the environmental side of things. Generators are very, very dirty. Um, yep. Not only are they expensive to sit there as an insurance um, to do very little work but mm. if you do have to use them they go completely against the sort of um, clean air um, yeah, issues absolutely. that we have at the moment yes there's opportunities to use biofuel perhaps um, hydrogenated vegetable oils and things like that but um, ultimately if we can build the resilience in the application layer maybe you yeah. can remove the need for uh, generators themselves an interesting thought and on trends then uh, we've been hearing for a long time that, you know, 20, 30, 50 kilowatt racks yeah. en masse are just around the corner. Uh, people have been saying that for years. Yeah. Are they just around the corner? Are you seeing piles and piles of, of that type of demand coming in through the door? or, or No, I think it's, it's fair to say that it, it's certainly not piles and piles, but we are seeing a trend that way. Um, you know, I think the um, we talked about the the way people buy uh, data center services is changing. I think part of that is because the um, the data center sector and technology changes so quickly. So the rapid growth of sort of uh, AI, uh, machine learning, uh, use of graphics cards, that those are really really pushing up um, mm. potential cabinet um, usage. Um, or rack usage uh, in terms of kilowatts it's not unheard of um, to be looking at sort of 35 plus kilowatts a cab um, but I think to say that that's every cab that we see yeah. coming onto the floor is, is still a stretch of the imagination so I think that you know the whole market has changed partly because of the way we buy but also because the things we can do with the, the changing technology um, is, is enabling new customers to come in. You know, health um, and life sciences looking at how AI can help um, mm. streamline diagnosis of illnesses and things like that. So yeah, and I guess the the, the to your point about the, the the characteristics of the end user changing. I guess never has it been so cheap and easy to access such huge volumes of, of intense compute power that were inconceivable. Yeah, probably no, only five years ago. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess, you know, Moore's Law and all the rest of it, we, we do see that sort of quantum leap in um, computing power and density. Um, whether we go water-cooled to, to cope with that, you know, clearly there is a physical limit on air cooling. Yeah. Um, but how, I think a bit like the, the VHS Betamax um, war, 
back in the well, I don't know when, whenever it was, probably too too long ago, so the eighties. You, you were fine coding nineteen ninety eight, but now <laughs> yeah, you've really yeah, dated yeah. yourself. Um, you know, if we go to that, then you know, do we look at submerged um, sort of uh, equipment? Do we look at encapsulated equipment, or yeah. are we doing direct on cooled chips and hybrid cooled rooms where part of the equipment yeah. is air cooled and part of it is water cooled? I think that battle is yet to be won, and until that's sort of commoditized, mm. it's going to be difficult to pin down what will win. Place your bets here. Yep. Um, I think one thing that is certainly for sure is it's very difficult for the legislators to keep pace with. Uh, what's happening in mm. the market um, I think we do need some standardisation we do need some regulation around PUEs and so on yeah. to move that forward but but the technology changes so quickly uh, yeah. it, it's difficult to keep pace Well I suppose we were, we were, we were chatting earlier on about the, the recurring themes you know at PTC here uh, you know same in the last couple of years conferences are Yep. speculating on a lot of new demand or at least consolidation of demand talking about 5G talking about edge talking yep. about IoT talking about hybrid environments but really the not that many people admitting that actually we don't know what the real implications are on the on how how that translates into kilowatts how that translates sure. into location strategy um and how that's going to impact on on us on the supply side i mean and i think that's, we, we just don't know right no and i think that's partly because we don't know how we can use a lot of the technology that's been identified mm. to drive better outcomes for society um once we work out how iot is best deployed you know is it driverless cars is it whatever it is yeah it's still unclear how we best utilize that and until that's done it's very difficult for the cloud providers to predict how much capacity yeah. they need it's difficult for regulation to keep up with it um you know the whole point around driverless cars and insurance. I mean, how does that work? That's oh. a, a very interesting one, which maybe we'll leave for another day. Maybe we but, will. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think it's just very difficult to, to work in sync in partnership with all of the supply chain, the users and the end users, or mm. the buyers and the end users to keep everything um, fully in sync. Well, and maybe on that note that, yeah, we're, we're talking about a unknown and potentially very elastic um, set of expectations on the demand side while yep. still today we're talking about bricks and sticks and pipes and wires yep. implicitly inelastic on our side so we'll uh, need to continue to to be ready one thing's for certain though i think you know the event here at ptc in hawaii has been useful to air some of those um discussions again and try and move it on um you know there's been lots of discussions about cloud multi-cloud um edge 5g so the more we talk about it, hopefully the, the closer we get to the solution. Yep, and hopefully this time next year when we're uh, having this chat, we'll have a bit more of an idea. Super. Super. Thanks, Jared. On to Th the bar. Thanks, then, Pete. Beyond your podcast. Well, thanks, Jared, for that. Next up, we've got uh, Phil Lawson-Shanks of Aligned Energy. We were able to pin him down uh, as he walked off stage from his lightning talk that he delivered at PTC. So take it away, Phil. Beyond your podcast. Well, pleased to be joined by uh, Phil from Aligned Energy. Phil, introduce yourself for us, please. Sure. Uh, Phil Lawson-Shanks. I'm the Chief Innovation Officer at Aligned Energy. Uh, obviously a Brit, but living in the States. Been here about 25 years and seen the whole ramp from PC servers all the way through the data center market, all the way to where we are today. So we managed to catch Phil 
hot on the heels of his presentation at PTC, which um, ended up with him removing his shirt, which um, <laughs> you kind of had to be there in order to get that joke. But I can assure you, he is still fully closed. Um, but made quite a statement at the end, which we'll uh, which we'll come to. But I think you you started the uh, started your talk as far as um, as early as 1922, I believe. Yeah. Uh, taking us through the the earliest days of server rooms and kind of chronicled uh, the progression of, of densities. So give us a bit of a summary of of, of those couple of some of those landmarks densities Certainly. that you mentioned. Yeah. So if you think about what we're building today for data centers, data centers are a critical part of everything we do. That's where all the services live that we use every day, whether a platform yeah. or a particular service. So data centers are, are prolific all over the world, but they're still being designed and, and built based on the supply chain that really evolved in the 1920s and 1950s. So the 50s where we saw you know, the, the first computer rooms, and yeah. they were designed for people, and they had underfloor cooling, a ceiling plenum, all the ASHRAE standards were based around people, typically in suits, doing teletype machines. Mm-hmm. As we moved into the mini and the the PC server era, they carried on with that same supply chain. So raised floor, ceiling plenums, cooling, and they started to look at racked-based servers. So what was out there was something AT&T developed back in 1922 when they started looking at their computer rooms or their their COs, basically, their central offices. So that was adopted. And in all things, you look at an existing supply chain and you start adapting and adopting it. Now we're getting to the point where that is really, we're hitting the top end of what's capable based on what the server performance is looking for. And is this a case of us kind of falling in the trap of doing it the way that we've always done it? Absolutely. So just evolving a slightly better crack than we had the year before. Exactly. If you look at what um, cracks were developed by Carl Munters back in like 1915, um, the first uh, HVAC unit um, using a compressed air cooling coil. And it's pretty much the same. There's more technology involved. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more monitoring and cooling, but essentially it's just uh, compressed gas in a coil with air moving across it and a big fan pushing the air away. So... Because we've, I mean, we've we, we've proved, and you and I have talked about about this before, that um, you can you can do fifty kilowatt racks with air, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. and, and that some of some of this liquid cooling talk, and I, and I know that you're you're not afraid to say it. Yeah. You know, there are tremendous complexities, and actually, really some specialist use cases. But does it scale? Mm-hmm. And you had some other thoughts about. Yeah, I mean, it's it's expensive. It's heavy. Um, and also, it's still unknown. Even though the, the the mineral oil is non-conductive, which is why it's used, so you don't you know you don't short out the boards. There's still a concern about what that's doing to the the plastics of the cables. It's messy, so if you need to do any uh, move add changes, you've got to lift the whole rack out, uh, probably take it down for that period of time because they're running so hot. Yeah, it's just. For very specific use cases, if you're doing high-end compute, I mean, some of the, the things that are coming out of the research labs, maybe some of the, what will become maybe quantum computing, although I hesitate to go that way because that's a whole different thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but getting to that level of of machine learning and, and AI, where you're looking at incredibly uh, hot processes, but these are very specific use cases. Yeah. And so, okay, so so by exclusion, we say, you're not going to be able to to get to where you need to be with off-the-shelf commoditized cracks. No, liquid cooling 
ain't really going to do it, you know, for for the masses. So uh, what's the answer that you're advocating? And I happen to be sitting looking at you wearing a T-shirt with an equation. Exactly. Yeah. It. So it's all about physics. So we developed some technology. We have it manufactured for us. Um, essentially, we it looks like a fan wall, but it's not a fan wall. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the big thing. Fan wall's been around a long time. We've got some uh, technology uh, behind the fans themselves that in a four-foot cube, we can remove 117 kilowatts of heat. Yeah. So we stack those three high. So you've got 350 kilowatts of heat. If you look at a crack, which is about 12 foot by nine foot by four foot, if you get it just right, you, you may take off 100 kilowatts. Yeah, yeah. And it's horribly expensive. And you know, once it's there, it's a fixed asset. You've got to depreciate that over time. So many moving parts. You know, it's, it's maintenance. With this, you can just roll it up and keep on going. And it's, it's all about moving uh, mass of air, not just um, velocity, but volume of air. Yeah. So moving air across a hot medium, you usually get about uh, a delta T, a, a heat exchange of about three to four degrees. With this technology, you get 45 degrees. Yeah. So it's radically different. And and some of the graphics you you showed there in your in your presentation, it you know leads me to understand that you know us at yonder and yourselves are thinking along the similar lines, which hey. Forget about this. I'm going to build a shed and then put equipment inside it. We're talking about the the building is the engineering. The engineering is the building. Yeah. Um, and it needs to be adaptable up to some crazy densities you were talking about. Oh yeah. But that's only possible because you tore up the rule book. You took out a blank sheet of paper and decided to rethink it from the start. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And if you look at what customers are doing now, they typically the you know the more progressive customers they put in their network node and that might be you know three to five kilowatts yeah they'll they'll test the market they'll start putting in whatever their service is it's caching or it's compute or whatever they'll grow that depending on the market so if the market is slow to take off that's fine but if it grows rapidly they've got to adapt very very quickly yeah and so you've got a lot of fixed assets you've got supply chain issues with this you just grow and expand on demand you just as you grow, it grows with you. Yeah. And uh, that, an example, we have a, a gaming uh, customer. During the middle of the day, not a whole lot going on. Come 3.30, when the kids come home from school, to about 2 in the, two in the morning, off the charts. Yeah, yeah. And this just takes care of all of that. We don't have to do any changes. It just adapts and goes. And we, uh, we, we did touch earlier on our chat about the, the dangerous E word, that is to say edge. Mm -hmm. um, and I think... We've, we've, you know, it's still a trendy thing to be saying, and you know, a lot of people talking about it, you know, as if it is some absolutely definable um, kind of phenomenon. I think you, you, you summed it up pretty well earlier. And what's your, your definition? Yeah. So my definition has always been an edge is the lowest latency point between a service and the consumption of a service. And depending on what those two things are, we're will really dictate how big the edge is and where it needs to be. So if you're pushing Netflix to cell phones, it's going to be in the central office of the the telco or tethered to something like that. Yeah. But if you're pushing Exchange or SharePoint or AWS or Google um, files, that edge is going to be bigger and it's going to be in a metro. Mm. So it really depends on what's what's receiving that data yeah. and using it and, and what you're serving it. Yeah, because it, it, it seems there's, there's a real temptation, particularly at events like this, to talk about edge as if it is one kind of universal phenomenon, where it, whereas in fact, I think what you've hinted, hit on there is that, you know, edge is in the, in the eye of the beholder. Exactly. Depends so. what you're on the edge of and what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. And so, uh, well, here, thanks for that, Phil. Thanks for your time. Give us your, uh, your three-word summary so far of what PTC is all about um, to the extent that it's legal. Sure, <laughs> that it's legal. Yeah, so I've been coming here for, oh, nigh on seven, eight years. Um, Since you were in your 20s? Exactly. Well, yeah, I was late teens, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what I'm seeing now is uh, uh, data centers, 
um, and internet and uh, really there's a business there's a, so much business gets done here it's uh, Around the conference, there's all the meetings. There's a lot of uh, exchange of ideas. That's yeah. more than three words. But the com it, this is just is one of the one of the key um, uh, events of the year where people come to meet and chat and catch yeah. up, and then really arrange to meet in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great because I thought your three words might have been beer, wine, and tequila. So oh, we, we've yeah. done well there to yeah. stay on course. Actually, it'd be rum for me. I can't do tequila anymore. <laughs> and karaoke after tomorrow. Oh, karaoke. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to hearing you sing. Well, we'll see. We'll do Thanks, so. yeah. <laughs> Thanks ever so much, right. Phil. Take care. Man. Great to see you. Bye Thank bye. Beyonder Podcast. Well, that's all from day one here at PTC. We'll be back tomorrow with more insights from the conference. Remember, you can subscribe to the Yonder Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Without. Constraints. Ideas. People. Technology. F. Limited. Thinking. Defining. Tomorrow. Without. Constraints. Beyond your podcast.